Repent! I will not repent. Greetings! It is I, the Count. The Count. They call me the Count because I love to count things. In fact, I am looking for some things to count right now. You can be all sensible and organized together and make lots of lists. Make, 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 make lists. Well, here we are again, ladies and gentlemen. We have gathered again for the Unrepentant List Man, and I've got a very special edition for you this time. Uh, it was actually a conversation brought about by conversation Jimmers and I were having, I think, uh, in which we were talking about how great of a scene, one of the ones that actually makes the list, is it's just a gigantic fuck off, or fuck you, to the intended hearer, and how it's not those words, but how fucking awesome those words were and like how much more forceful and how much more meaningful those words were. And so I'm like, dude, I'm going to make a list on that one. Insult. So, crafting. uh, insult crafting. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not so much the insult isn't so much the, the intensity of the moment, uh, behind it and what, what it means. And I got to tell you, I mean, there were a lot of things that came to mind in crafting this list uh, and I, you know, of course, there's only a top ten, and there are many others that would I would love to have made the list. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. we talked about data and first contact in the uh, big dig, but I I've always loved the uh, resistance is futile thing that he does in first contact. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, that was a great fuck you moment right there. But it didn't make the list. Uh, <clears throat> well, then you have the warps. So these are also Assimilate like this. assertions of. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, these are these are like assertions of um, you know, like spirit. Also, it's not. Really it is. Just the fuck and, you. You know, and how I'm uh, how I am entitling this one is the top ten cinema TV tell-offs. So we're not limiting ourselves to just potty language. We're limiting ourselves to just telling people off. And so, beginning off the list, ladies and gentlemen, we have this one seems kind of obvious, but it also seems very necessary. Uh, have you guys seen South Park Bigger, Longer, and Uncut? Of course. Yeah. Jimmers. Okay. This is yeah. the moment at the end in which Cartman's V chip is malfunctioning <laughs> and he uses his potty language to defeat Saddam Hussein and Satan. So if there were, you know, if there were ever a reason to include it, include a tell off on a, a top 10 list, it would be that one. Uh, and of course, there's a litany of very, very naughty words which Cartman says, and all of them are uttered to uh, hilarity. Shall we take a listen? Fuck shit, cock ass, titties, butter, bitch, muck, pussy, cock, butthole, barber, dragon! Yeah, I feel like like what always sets South Park aside from anything else that's vulgar is that it's always really self-aware. And I love things like that on South Park. Where it's like the vulgarity itself really becomes a weapon. Because that's yeah. how you treat it. That's right. It's like, true. Why, why is there still such a thing as network television? Like, I don't understand how such a thing fucking exists anymore. Be- because, like, how can it can possibly compete with anything on FX or Showtime or Stars or mean, HBO? The internet where they in can actually, Yeah, where they can treat you like an adult. Like, we can't even have PG-13 stuff on network television anymore. Really? And there was a thing really? about this. There, yeah, okay. I mean, there was a um, thing on... Um, NPR, uh, I guess it was about a year ago, they were talking about how uh, they are so hamstrung by basically religious fundamentalists <laughs> that, you know, like people count on this as their bastion for, for family viewing is, you know, network television. Yeah. So, you know, like they can't have too much blood, they can't, but they always talk about blood and violence. Think about like the prevalence of like CSI and NCIS and stuff yeah. where it's like they're kind of like nibbling around the edge. Like bad things happen, but we never actually show you them. You know, we just talk about them for an hour. Well, it's like my, my yeah, wife. And, and so I think like it's that, that's why yeah. my wife will cringe at the violence on like Game of Thrones or something like that. But yeah, she's watching some of the most disgusting shit I've ever seen on Bones. There's an episode where yeah. where yeah. a guy gets glued to a dead. But guy. Jeff, that's sci- that's scientific and stuff. That that's not fantasy. That's not fantasy violence. Well, it's, right, but but like when they show it to you on bones, it's like in a flashback, so it doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, it's a flashback. <laughs> a police it's a flashback. I don't know how that count. works. Yeah, yeah, I, like I don't know how that, that works. But 
Yeah, but like South Park, like it always like addresses it head on. Do you remember the episode of South Park where they um petitioned to use the word shit oh, from Comedy yeah, Central? Yeah. It's the, the night of a thousand it. shits. And yeah. then they used it like 264 times and so like dragging. And they had the countdown. That was shit. a great episode. Meek, Meek yeah, Rob. It was a fucking awesome episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like the word doesn't do anything. Like it has no inherent power. It's the way. So, yeah, I think that's cool for the South Park movie. Yeah, yeah. it was good. It was good. All right, so that's number 10. Moving on to number nine. This one's short and it's sweet. It's not from the very sweet Linda Hamilton. In the original Terminator, in which at the very end of the movie, uh, she takes care of Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator and she says, dun, 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 terminate this fucker. Uh, this was actually a, Uh, a Jimmer's recommendation and I had to wholeheartedly agree. It's a great moment. Uh, not only because she's a chick that kicks ass, but she's also, uh, putting an end to the Terminator once and for all her very own self. Uh, don't need no man to protect her. And and I I love that part. Right. I mean, like, what does she actually say? She says you're terminated motherfucker. Yeah. Isn't that it? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I love it because like the entire movie, like she's just running around, you know, like bouncy, 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 just like running around everywhere <laughs> from bouncy. this impossible to kill, invincible killing machine. Yeah. And it's only because Kyle Reese is there that like he just kind of buys her more time. And then like at the very end, there's this weird apotheosis where she becomes able to kill. And you know, like when she has <laughs> and a thing then we to press. Terminator 2 Linda Hamilton. And it's like the most, yeah. And like all of a sudden she's been like running around like, I'm Sarah Connor. What did I do to anyone? I don't know anything about a revolution. And then it's like, you're terminated, fucker. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And, you know, like, there's oh! that switch. Yeah. There's that switch in all of us that can turn off the, the years and years of conditioning from living in a polite social Civilized society. society. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And also, I think she says exactly, I think it's your terminated motherfucker i think it's it's just i think it's just fucker does she just say fucker she does i thought it was mother somebody look this up you're terminated fucker because um i I down i downloaded the uh the the clip it's just fucker and she just says fucker because i was thinking motherfucker would would echo that he just the Terminator just killed Reese, who was the motherfucker (laughs) creating you know inseminating her with john connor you're looking for a little more than i was saying i'm mistaken but also, you know, like she uses the word terminated. Yeah. Like she's become like because of the experience, she has now steeled herself to the world Ooh. where she can be a terminator. Ooh. Not just a killer, yeah. she's a terminator. Yeah, it's a great moment. I mean, that's why that movie it, you know stands the test of time. And that's why, oh man, this Terminator Genesis, man, they're just fucking with too much, I think. All right. <laughs> uh let's go ahead and go to number eight, guys. Have you ever seen uh I actually have two entries by one Mr. Al Pacino on this list. Because when it comes to telling people off, there just ain't nobody like Al Pacino. Hoo-ah. This one's from Son of a Woman. Yeah, hoo-ah. Uh, so have you seen this one, guys? Long time I've seen ago. Son of a Woman. I'm, I don't remember exactly what scene you're talking about. All right, this is the scene like at the end in which, you know, he drops off Charlie to go face the music by himself. And then, lo and behold, the colonel comes up. And he's, you know, there is not his guardian, but at least, you know, somebody to, to stand with him when he you know, hears these allegations and the punishment. Uh, and, you know, he has the uh, old schoolmaster whose car had been trashed because of all of this, uh, as far as the context goes. And you have a young Philip Seymour Hoffman as sort of the antagonist who's hiding in daddy's pockets, as Al Pacino points out I in this clip. I barely but, remember this movie at all, <laughs> apparently. Oh, uh, well, yeah, we're, I'm in the same we're about to listen to this clip, guys, because it's a, uh, a wholehearted fuck you to the institution and to the class system, I believe. And go. Well, gentlemen, when the shit hits the fan, some guys run and some guys stay. Here's Charlie facing the fire and there's George hiding in Big Daddy's pocket. And what are you doing? You're going to reward George and destroy Charlie. Are you finished, Mr. Slade? No, I'm just getting warmed up. I don't know who went to this place. William Howard Taft, William Jennings Bride, William Tell, whoever. Their spirit is dead, if they ever had one. It's gone. You're building a rat ship here. A vessel for seagoing snitches. And if you think you're preparing these minnows for manhood, you better think again. Because I say you are killing the very spirit this institution proclaims it instills. 
What a sham. What kind of a show are you guys putting on here today? I mean, the only class in this act is sitting next to me, and I'm here to tell you, this boy's soul is intact. It's non-negotiable. You know how I know? Someone here, and I'm not going to say who, offered to buy it. Only Charlie here wasn't selling. Sir, you're out of order. I don't, I show you out of order. All right, so, uh, yeah, that's it, guys. That's Al Pacino and all of his glory, uh, telling off the schoolmaster of the Baird School. Of course, the context is early in the movie before Charlie goes away for this weekend. This is, uh, uh, was Chris O'Connell's character. And he goes to meet Al Pacino's character, uh, Colonel Slade. And before all this had happened, he had been like working at a library on campus. And Philip Seymour Hoffman character is a, he's, he's a little imp and he's, uh, got this plan to make a balloon full of paint fall on the schoolmaster's car. So it's, you know, ruined or whatever. Uh, and so they, you know, that happens. And then they're basically all told, like, oh, you're all, you're all up shit. Shit Creek here. When you guys get back from your holiday break and Chris Connell's character, you know, Charlie spends the week weekend or whatever with a set of women discovering the world. Uh, and of course discovering a lot more than he thought he was going to discover, uh, with Al Pacino's character. And he mm-hmm. basically becomes, uh, endeared into Al Pacino's character's heart. And he goes and stands with him at this, uh, this trial basically. And, there are, you know, the schoolmaster is ready to pronounce him guilty, is ready to dismiss him from the school, and he's there on scholarship. So it is a big deal. And Al Pacino's the only one who's really, you know, willing to stand up, and he's using salty language to do it, of course, but he's also indicting the institution. He's indicting the very class system that produces these little shits who are supposed to go on and take over the world and, you know, be, be the politicians and lawyers and the doctors. But he's like, this is a house of rats. And that's when you're like, Oh shit. Oh shit. You know, you can, you can see people like, you know, running for the hills when he, he yeah. indicts it. And, uh, it's a very phenomenal moment in my opinion. Yeah. And, hey, you know what this reminds me of? I hope it's not on your list later. You guys seen finding Forrester? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sean Connery. Um, it's not right? as good a movie. I a lot of people love it. Yeah, it's a Sean Connery movie. A lot of people love that movie, and I'm always gonna like ho hum about it. Yeah, but there's it's like a very parallel scene at the end because it's supposed to be like there's this young impoverished black kid on scholarship to a preparatory school in New York. Oh City. yeah, that that movie and, came out uh, after like, Cinema like, Woman. It was definitely meant to be. Uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah, it. yeah. But um, you know, it's supposed to be like uh, the, the Sean Connery is is like the, this famous author Forrester. Yeah, and he uh. He like teaches the the kid how to write, and but they find out like bits and pieces of his writing are actually taken from the author himself, and so like they're trying to like expel him, and then like Sean Connery shows up at the end. Everybody thinks he's like dead because nobody's heard of him for decades, right? And he kind of like does the same thing, like he reads the kid's speech, and he's like, "That poor black kid is a better writer than you all. Fuck all of you!" And then he just you know drops the mic, and everybody spazzes. <laughs> drops the mic, and, you know what I mean? I'm and out then, of yeah, like and then the professor has to like leave in disgrace. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's cool. Well, fighting, uh, all right, fighting so the whole exact same movie. You guys fighting the whole notion that there are expendable people among us, basically. Oh yeah, yeah, that was good. All right, so the uh, number seven guys. Let's go ahead and move it along. This is from a little known movie. It was actually based on a play, uh, which stars the future Ant Man. I guess he or he is the Ant Man. It just hasn't been released yet. Paul Rudd. And they, uh, Rachel Weiss, who co-stars in the movie, and I'm going to go ahead and fill you in on what the movie's about. It's about the hot Rachel Weiss, uh, back yes. in the, you know, even now she's a very pretty woman, but this was, I think came out about 10 years ago. And this is one of those things I just sort of watched on cable one day, just sort of on a whim. And I would, I, you know, absolutely fell in love with the movie, but, uh, at the beginning of the movie, Paul Rudd's character is chubby. He's got a big nose. He wears glasses. He's a geek. He's, you know, he's, he's not very, you know, he's not desirable to women at all. And then, you know, hot Rachel Weiss comes along and basically seduces him, convinces him to change, to get a nose job, to lose weight, to start dressing better. Uh, and so we're, you know, towards the end, we're, we're left with the, uh, you know, the full Paul Rudd as we now view him. And it all turns out to be, uh, a bit of performance art, I guess is what it is, from uh, Rachel Weiss's character, who was just trying to manipulate Paul Rudd's character into this change. And you know what's really funny? love as a manipulation to I, have I was going to say that I... I was going to say, I've, I've never heard of this film. No. Yeah. And then you got about 90 to 95% through with your description. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's that... I've definitely seen this. Okay, yes, okay. Uh, yeah, and at the end of the movie, she's uh, presenting her, her art... 
the, the installation is called he loves me or he loves me not, whatever it is, or she loves me, she loves me not. And, you know, has like his old, uh, ratty ass blazer that he always used to wear, has other relics and artifacts from the relationship. It has some like pictures and videos. Uh, and he, he comes in and it's sort of funny because nobody's there. Like, you know, say what you want about art, but, uh, I'm not sure how many people really get excited about the performance art thing. Uh, are you guys one of them? Uh-huh. No. Anyway, so like, like he, do we, he, are we into performance art? Yeah. Like, the idea of it. Yeah, I'm into reading the article about it on the internet after the fact, I guess, but I'm not showing up to the gallery. Oh, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, no. Like, she but shows I, up. I gotta say, like, this movie, I feel like it really changed my life. Like, whenever an attractive woman looks at me, I, um, always second I, I feel guess, even man. Less trusting than I would have yeah. Yeah, before. I just assume that it's some kind of performance art or something. <laughs> That's it. Anyway, it goes at the end. Actually, um, yeah. a, sci- a, a beautiful Scientologist woman smiled at me and said hi there, um, last weekend. Oh. And, she wants you to come to Xenu. She's impressed. Yeah, by the size I was on Scientologist property. Uh, this is this is something that's always bizarre for me. To explain. There's like a restaurant in the downtown of the city that we live near that it's on Scientologist property, oh, and they all shit. came walking out of their Scientologist church double file. Oh, and this beautiful, beautiful girl, she just looked me right in the eye and smiled and said hi there, and I said hi. <laughs> but I'm willing to convert. Oh my she god! Said, Look at you. You sold your soul to Zenu, man. All right. Should have said uh, anyway, Yeah, that would have been worth it. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and listen to the audio, right? <laughs> let's go ahead and listen to the audio for this one so you guys get the full effect. All right. I figured I was really going to have to work to get that one out of you. No, I'm not sorry. Not for what I've done. I just feel bad that you're so upset. <laughs> Screw you. You have screwed me a lot. You want to watch it? Just pull up a chair. Shit, you are seriously fucked up. I mean it. Listen to your mouth, Adam. You never used to talk like that. Oh, you're going to take credit for that too, huh? No. You picked that up all on your own. Cute guys always have potty mouths. They think it makes them cuter. Oh, yeah? Tell me how cute this one is, then. Fuck you! You heartless cunt. All right. So that that was it, Lee. Uh, guys, I should say. Uh, we have Paul Rudd telling her to f- fuck off, you cunt. And he sort of delineates from that and tries to find the humanity in Rachel Weiss's character. And you have this very, like, lost in translation moment where he, uh, she actually says, the only thing that was true is what I had whispered in your ear. And we don't know what she whispered in his ear. Like, you know, we just don't know. Uh, and I, and I do believe this movie predates or was at least contemporaneous with lost in translation. So it wasn't like they were trying to rip anybody off. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, he tries just to find out little spark of humanity in Rachel Weisz's character, but it's re- like, that's it. Like, whatever that secret is, that's the only sliver left. And, you know, that's it. He walks out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how does that shit end, though? Like, he just leaves? I, I, they don't go on Well, it, the implication of, throughout the movie is that Gretchen Maul's character was in love with him. I don't know if you remember what, what she looks like. Uh, and, of course, no. you know, you, you feel that there's something going on between them. Like, they were meant for each other all along. But, you know, you sort of left to think that that character, that Rachel Weiss's character was, uh, for the most part, irredeemable. I thought it would have been cool if they'd gone on a date after that, and that was, like, their first real date. <laughs> and then, like, you know what I mean? How would you go on a date with that, like, man? Masks. After she just emotionally huh? and mentally raped you. Uh, yeah, I, like, where else do you go? Away! Where else do you go? Like, you're Counseling! He's like, Antidepressants! Yeah, counselor's not going to look as good yeah, as that girl. she's so hot. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, but Gretchen Maul looks looks uh, every bit as good. All right. Okay. Uh, anyway, I, I, I think it would have been a more interesting idea if, like, they were just everybody agreed that we're now going to endure a categorical shift in everyone's position in this movie, and we're all going to adopt new roles. And like, let's just go on a new date from scratch. I, I, that would have been an interesting end of the movie. Uh, I disagree. I don't know. I disagree. All right. Uh, yeah, so- I hated her too. But I mean, I, I think it would have been like <laughs> now, uh, number six, Metallica. guys. We're moving on. Metallica. Number six. Oh wait, no. We got another. Al Pacino movie. Uh, this one is one of the old ones. Uh, I believe it comes from the early part of the 70s and lives in like 1973 or 74. It's called Injustice for All. Have either of you guys seen this one? Nope. I don't think so, but after the last one, who but, knows? But I really, uh, like the, I really like the album. Surprise me. Yeah, maybe I, I really like the album. Oh, though. yeah. We're not, we're not talking uh, about Metallica, Jeffrey. Um, <laughs> for, for those of us who do not have mullets. Uh, anyway, we're, we're going to talk about the Al Pacino movie and justice for all in which he is basically tasked with, uh, 
defending a corrupt judge, I believe it was. Uh, it's been a few years since I've seen the movie, but it's definitely like, you know, it's somebody in authority. It's a judge or a pot. I think it's a judge, uh, who's like on the take or whatever. And, the, you know, he, during the course of his defense of this guy, he learns the guy is guilty as fuck. And so at the closing argument, Al Pacino's like, this is what the witness has said. And she's either a liar or she's crazy. And then you're like, oh yeah, this, you know, if, if you didn't actually follow the, the journey of Al Pacino discovering what a piece of shit this, his defendant was, you're like, oh yeah, she, she must be a liar. But then like, he does exactly what you don't expect and what's going to get him disbarred. And, you know, a mistrial declared, but he goes on and says, my client is guilty, guilty as fuck. And like goes on this tirade. And of course the judge is going crazy. You're out of order. You're out of order. <laughs> and you know, it's an indictment of the political corruption going on and how if you're rich enough you can get away with whatever you want no and he so was that who, to whom the fuck he was directed like it's directed to the system in this one as well it's not towards oh the i mean it's de it's definitely directed towards the client but it's absolutely directed towards the system that's why i mean that's the name oh. injustice for all like he wants the fucking justice for all so they were acknowledging affluenza before they came up with the term uh yeah yeah they, 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 they were Jeff. yeah they were um, anyway, let's go ahead and uh, listen to uh, a section of this speech, right? Meow. Hit it. The prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. My client, the Honorable Henry T. Fleming, should go right to fucking jail. The son of a a slime he is a slime if he's allowed to go free then something really wrong is going on Mr. you are out of order you're out of order you're out of order the whole trial is out of order they're out of order that man that right, crazy And so that's it, guys. Um, it's a very powerful scene in the movie. I, I think it speaks much for itself, and I don't think we have to talk about it that much more. Are you ready to go ahead to number five? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Number five. This one is from a movie I know you've both seen. I think, in fact, I think anybody who doesn't live on Iraq has seen this movie. This one is that person is a loser. But I haven't oh seen my it god! Since it came out, like on HBO or something, so it's been a while. Uh, well, you know, at least you've seen it. Uh, it's Dead Poet Society, and of course, there was a lot going out there uh, when Robin Williams passed away last year. It and was so. I think sad. even in the public consciousness, this is a, a very uh, recent scene. Like I think a lot of people have actually seen this clip recently, and I know on like Facebook and whatever they're posting the picture of Robin Williams on top of his desk. And of course, this is the climax of the movie in which Ethan Hawke's character is the first one. You know, he's the quiet, he's a little mouse kid who doesn't say shit to anyone, is scared of everything uh, throughout the entire movie. But he's the first motherfucker who gets up on top of his desk when Keaton, go Keaton goes in to get his things in his classroom. And he's like, oh, captain, my captain. And then the first, you know, the, you know, they just cascade from there and all these other kids who are afraid get up on top of their desk and shout, Oh, captain, my captain. Remind uh, me. It, it, that remind me. Remind you of what? Um, does this have the, the guy who plays Wilson and house in it? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's he plays a character, Neil in that movie. He's the one who commits suicide. Yeah. And, that's what I uh, thought. Gets Robin Williams shit can to begin with. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, anyway, this this scene is moving anyway, but the fact that it's just a big it's a fuck you to the schoolmaster that's in, you know, in the classroom with him anyway. Like there's no getting around that. But it's also a fuck you to, you know, the injustice of the moment. Oh, captain my captain, like you you you're it, man. You're this is this is not just we support you even if we can't actually get up and support you. Make sense? Yes. Yeah, I don't even like Walt Whitman that much, but that scene gives me the feels so bad. Because <laughs> Ethan Hawke gets up on his desk. Yeah. 
and you're like, oh shit, he's getting to sp- like he's out of that school, like he's right, done. Right. And then everybody else in turn gets up on their death. Um, actually, you know what? It's exactly like Spartacus. I don't know. I'm I'm sorry if Spartacus is on your list. I hope I didn't ruin it. But yeah. it reminds me of like exactly like I the ending of Spartacus. Spartacus. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I am Spartacus. Yeah. No, I am Spartacus. Yeah. It, it does have, a- but it's a cool scene because it's yeah, it's not really like a negative tell off. It's just like in support. It's empowering. The, other, the new teacher is there. Yeah. yeah. Like the new teacher is there and it's like, yeah, we have a problem with the new system as it stands. Like that's what's right with the world to Robin Williams. He's the captain. Yeah. He's the Abraham Lincoln. Right. Right. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and go to the, oh, let's go ahead and listen to the audio. Captain, my captain. Sit down, Mr. Anderson. You hear me? Sit down. Sit down. This is your final warning, Anderson. How dare you? Do you hear me? Oh, Captain, my captain. Mr. Overstreet, I warn you. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. All of you. I want you seated. Sit down. And since we've already discussed this, guys, let's go ahead. I think everybody in the, in the planet has probably seen it or at least heard that clip before. So let's go ahead and go to number four. You ready? Yes. Yeah. All right. This little clip is what started this list. It's uh, from an episode of Star Trek Next Generation called Chain of Command Part 2. This is uh, sort of the context for you. Park Picard had been caught on a special ops mission. Now. Don't get me started on why Dr. Crusher, Worf, and Picard were sent on a special ops mission anyway. It's like, does the Federation <laughs> Dude, exactly not have thinking. anybody yeah. else, you know, a little more equipped to deal, to deal with this? All right. But hey, you know what? Yeah, it yeah, sets yeah. the but, scene for episode two here, which is the better of the two episodes, uh, Chain of Command. Yeah. And but, yeah. the Cardassian but, but, commander is holding and torturing Picard, and he's trying to get Picard through the course of this episode. Uh... He's, you know, he's standing at a desk and uh, Picard is sitting in a chair in front of him, sort of degraded as an animal wearing like basically a burlap sap, a burlap sack. And he's got four lights behind him and he's trying to get Picard to admit to like lie and be the beaten down dog and say that there are actually five lights. How many lights do this you Cardassian. see? Yes, exactly. And so let's go ahead and listen to this clip. How many lights? This is your last chance. God's coming. Don't be a stubborn f- Fucked up. Hey, I just want to say first, I when you actually watch Chain of Command parts one and two, I don't think it's nearly as bad as you say, but when you frame it as, you know, a 60-year-old captain of the flagship <laughs> and a female doctor and Worf are sent on a special ops mission. Yeah. When you verbalize it like that, yeah, okay, it sounds fucked up. Uh, I, don't, I don't Well, know. just no, like you could tell cool the episodes. first the first of the, the two-parter was intentionally just just whacked out set up for what's going to happen in episode two. So I forgive them. Yeah. I forgive them for it, but you know, it, uh, ep- yeah. Uh, who's the new captain who takes over? I forget his name. But, oh like, yeah. He's such a dickhead. He's, you're like, Oh man, that guy is the world's biggest asshole. He's, but then by he's, the end isn't of he the, the second episode, you think he's cool. Which one? I, I don't remember. Uh, the, the, I don't remember. He's Dick. The original. They call him Dick. Oh, oh like you're talking about, he was like the, the CEO. The the cap- yeah. 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 Like, isn't, isn't that the same <laughs> yeah, yeah, guy? Yeah. Okay. No, he, he, he's typecast. He's so typecast, they actually call him Dick in RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> I think he pops up again as a, one of the serial killers in Dexter, I think, uh, here the last few years. And you know what? He's still a dick. Uh, <laughs> I, I like anyway. The, I like the part where you know Cap, Captain Picard eventually gets the guy to tell him a personal story. And oh, yeah. That's, like, I, yeah, that's, I will that's always see you as that scared little boy. And it's like, yep. Say, like, gotcha, oh, yeah. gotcha now, motherfucker. Uh, anyway, so, like, I just love the part, you know, they're, they're, he's, he's really confused. And at the, the, the epilogue to the show, he's talking to Troy and he's like, I was starting to see, you know, like, I was going to say five lights when the, the other guys walked in. Like, I was really, truly seeing it. 
And the fact that even, like, he was seeing it in his mind, the fact that he says, fuck off, dude, those are four motherfucking lights as he's walking out. I mean, that is 100% a fuck you to this his torturer, his captor. And, and it was also showing... I think it's cool, because, like, when you watch... It was also showing the futility of of torture that we've we've learned that people will just start making shit up. Oh yeah, I mean, of course, of course. And uh, Jimbers, you had some some good insight into this. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a really cool scene because, uh, well, number one, it's like nineteen eighty four ish, like the two plus two equals five. Yes. Yeah, I think it's pretty clearly supposed to be like a direct reference to that. Yeah, but what I think is so cool, like what takes it to the next level in my mind. Is that like when he says it initially, you don't know about the epilogue with Troy. You're like, like, man, like he he's just saying like fuck you to Gaul, what's the guy's name? Madrid or whatever. Like he's just saying fuck you to the Cardassian torture guy. And then at the end where he admits to Troy that he actually saw the five lights, like it's also kind of like I was saying before, like he's just asserting that he can still exist spiritually, like it's an empowering thing for him, while we're at the point like he's totally crushed. And that's the reality of it. But he has to conceal that. He can never be the little boy who, uh, you know, stole the egg and got his arm broken like the Cardassian. Yeah. Anyway, good stuff. Like All the right. meaning of oh, the, oh, the, there are four lights changes within the course of five minutes. It, it yeah. goes from one. It goes True. from a fuck you to like a personal kind of, you know, like mantra. There, yeah, you're right. You're right. Good stuff. All right, guys. Uh, number three. Let's move on ahead. Uh, this is one of those clips that went viral, I believe, uh, very short, very shortly after it was released. And this was from the HBO show The Newsroom, in which we get a monologue, for all intents and purposes, of Jeff Daniels. Is this? Let's the, go ahead and listen to it. Is this the fuck off to American exceptionalism? This is that. Yeah. This is uh, from the the pilot show. Yeah. All right. Can you say why America is the greatest country in the world? Diversity and opportunity. Lewis? Uh, freedom and freedom. So let's keep it that way. Well, why is America Not the greatest, the greatest country in the world, Professor. That's my answer. You're saying... Yes. Let's talk about fine. The Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of her paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it anytime he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so fucking smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? Hey, and with a straight face, you're gonna tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yeah, you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is there is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? Sure used to be. We stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not poor people. We sacrificed. We cared about our neighbors. We put our money where our mouths were, and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars. Acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it. It didn't make us feel inferior. We didn't identify ourselves by who we voted for in the last election, and we didn't... We didn't scare so easy. <laughs> we 
were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed by great men, men who were revered. First step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. Enough? So uh, now that you've listened to it, guys, I'm sure you've heard that before, yes? Yes. It brought uh, tears yeah, to I my eyes. Yeah, I watched every episode of the newsroom. It brought tears to my eyes. I'm gonna, yeah. It, okay. You know what I think is funny? I, it pisses me off because I've known so many people who have seen this clip and they want to talk about this clip and, oh my God, this trip, clip changed my life. Um, I think it's because like now we have people who are coming into adulthood who are young enough that they basically don't remember 9-11. How long ago was True. 9-11? It was like 14 years ago yep. or something. Wow. So, I, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, they were, they were like four or five years old, you know? So it's kind of like they're trying to explain in their mind, like, how did Iraq happen? How did Afghanistan happen? How did George W. Bush happen? And I think this clip was sort of like that kind of like cattle call for a generation. What pisses me off, though, is everybody watches this clip and talks about it, and nobody has fucking seen the newsroom. <laughs> Do you know people who watch the newsroom? Uh, I watched the first two seasons religiously, and then, like, uh, season two was kind of a letdown, so I just sort of stopped. Oh, really? like yeah. I've seen them. All. I, th I thought it was a very good competent show. Yeah. The only thing that upset me about like some parts of it were like really overtly like pro democratic, but um, and and also it has like Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Yeah, like everybody's right, just does. a little bit too witty for it to to maintain suspension of disbelief. Yeah, and is it? But uh, no, it's a very Jeff good Daniels' show. character is uh, just reminds me too much of the uh, what Joe Scarborough from MSNBC. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, but I thought, is it Scarborough is supposed to be like, oh, yeah, I guess Scarborough is supposed to be like conservative, which was the same thing. It's supposed to be right, that right. Jeff Daniels is supposed to be like, um, you know, a former Republican. Uh, he, he was a, a, a prosecutor. I think yes. he became a judge or something, but then became like, you know, a speaking head. I'm talking head. Anyway. No, it's 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 a great, you know, like, it's, what, three minutes long, that, that little clip or whatever. And there's nothing that he says that's not true. Like, it's just straight up fact. Like, yeah. this is where America ranks. This is what America is. Are we the greatest nation on earth? Uh, pff, what the fuck are you talking about? In fact, I think he says, that's what he, he says at the end. And, yeah. you know, like, it's something a lot of people well, really needed to hear. It is what a lot of people need, need to hear. But on the other hand, like, all right, great. Now, th that show has been out for a few years. What the fuck have we done, man? I mean, here we are. Yeah, have you guys here we like are entire... again talking about possibly electing another Bush to office. Ugh. Yeah, or a Clinton. Those are the two options. All right, what now? Um, or a Clinton. Yeah, or a Clinton. Those are the two options. Yeah. Um, it, it's have you guys like seen the whole scene? You, Buchanan, you're talking about you saw like the entire first season and stuff. Yeah, because like it's this little like blonde sorority girl gets yeah, up, he's yeah. speaking at a university, and she actually comes into the story like, later. Yeah, she does. Um, and and she just there are like three guys on stage, and she's like, "Can each of you tell me why the United States is the greatest country in the world?" And like the first guy is like democracy. Yeah, and the next guy is like. Freedom, and then Jeff Daniels is like, "Fuck you," and he goes <laughs> yeah. and he gives a speech, right, and right. you know, like it was cool because like those are the answers you always hear from politics, you know, democracy, is, freedom, and then he tells it. But I wonder, like, who is it a fuck you to? Like, is it a fuck you to that girl? It's or the every, is she just like a proxy for every ignoramus in the world. But but like the, the establishment already knows that the U.S. isn't the greatest country. It's like it, it's a fuck you to stupidity, uh, to like stupid people. That, 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 that's it too. Yeah. Like the, the whole, just the frame of mind in which the you know, the people who do believe that, uh, you know, the, the, his tirade on freedoms, like pff, what two hundred some odd countries have freedom, and you know, like or most of them have freedom, one hundred eighty of them do, and uh, he's absolutely yeah. right. All right, without talking about that much anymore, let's move ahead and go to number two, in which we talked some the dink. All right, uh, this is from last season, season four of Game of Thrones. Peter Dinklage and his speech. In the episode entitled "The Laws of God, Gods and Men," all right, let's go ahead and give it a listen. Wait, so you guys seen this one? Yes, both. But now, all right, uh, Jimmers, I'll go ahead and so give you, you a, a quick rundown. Uh, okay. Sorry, sorry to spoil it for you since you haven't. I was, I was asking you earlier no, if you caught right. up. Um, Tyrion. Hey, guess what though? For Mother's Day, for Mother's Day, I got my wife all the books, and I'm going to read them, and then I'm going to spoil it for you all. I already read the books, motherfucker. Ah, oh, fuck. Damn, man! Look yeah, at me you. too. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck! Who can I spoil? Wait, this wait! For? No, you could spoil it for Jeff. Jeff's lying. Hey, fuck you, man! Don't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> I saved you. I saved this city and all your worthless lives. I should have let Stannis kill you all. 
Sirian. Do you wish to confess? Yes. Father, I'm guilty. Guilty? Is that what you want to hear? You admit you poisoned the king? No. Of that I'm innocent. I'm guilty of a far more monstrous crime. I'm guilty of being a dwarf. You are not on trial for being a dwarf. Oh, yes I am. I've been on trial for that my entire life. Have you nothing to say in your defense? Nothing but this. I did not do it. I did not kill Joffrey, but I wish that I had. Watching your vicious bastard die gave me more relief than a thousand lying whores. I wish I was the monster you think I am. I wish I had enough poison for the whole pack of you. I would gladly give my life to watch you all swallow it. Samarin! Samarin, escort the prisoner back to his cell. I will not give my life for Joffrey's murder, and I know I'll get no justice here, so I will let the gods decide my fate. I demand a trial by combat. All right, guys, so uh, that was our dink moment, uh, coming in at number two on the top ten. TV cinema tell offs. And uh, I like the part where he's talking about how he wishes he did it because every single person in the world watching it also <laughs> wishes they got to do it. Uh, that That's 100% accurate, oh, I'm sure. I mean, dick. Oh, uh, yeah. But anyway, I, I love that. Like that, that moment where he says, but I wish I had. Like <laughs> from there on after is where the magic really starts to happen. He's a fucking because- brilliant actor. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. And, and you know, it's it's a big fuck you to his dad because part of the context in the show is that Jamie Lannister has worked out a deal with his father Tywin that if you know what Tyrion can go to the if he just like says all right whatever Tyrion can go to live out his life on the wall you know the night the Night's Watch and Jamie if he spares Tyrion's life Jamie will go back to Castle Rock and become Tywin's heir. And then, you know, the moment the Shay walks in there, that's the wild card. And Tyrion loses his shit. And this whole scene is a big fuck you to Tywin. He's like, you know, fuck you. I'm not going to make it easy on you. Uh, and of course, what the, the, the next couple episodes after that, uh, we have Tyrion murdering his dear old dad on the shitter. Which, uh, but it was they, really a moment. And all oh, the acting was phenomenal. When they reran the, the, um, the shooting at the beginning of this, this latest season, when they showed the clip, I'm like, yeah. oh, wait a minute, I didn't notice before. That probably wouldn't have killed him, <laughs> where they placed the arrow. Well, they shot, he shot him twice. Oh, okay, okay, okay. He shoots him then, and they, like he's like sitting there bleeding out. He shoots him and in then, the shoulder. Boom, one more time. He shoots him yeah. in the shoulder, and then, okay, 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 I remember now. Sorry. Yeah, so there's two, two shots there. Uh, anyway, so that's it, guys. Uh, I think it's... You know, you know, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan, and oh, yeah. uh, I think it's particularly well acted. And several of the scenes, of course, on this top ten list are indeed very well acted. Uh, but it's a great moment, and so it it does rank that highly on my list. And now Let's go ahead I'm and go to number uno, one, guys. Uno. Number one. This is from a movie that I don't think you've watched, Jeffrey, but I know uh, that Jimmers has. But I, I know I have played for you this clip before. Wait, no, I I haven't seen it. Don't lie. Closer? Closer. I've seen The Closer. I don't think I've seen Closer. Oh, my God. Don't lie. Is this All the right. one where she's uh, this a, is where Natalie Portman's a Clive, It's Clive Owen. Yeah, Clive Owen, Julie Roberts, Jude Law, and Natalie Portman. And I watched this, the scene you're going to talk about with you, but I watched some of the other scenes yes. by myself. All by myself. Well, I'm sure you were very by yourself. Exactly. <laughs> uh, anyway, as far as this, this movie is concerned, it's not one of those movies that you uh, watch you know, and come out with a positive view on relationships. <laughs> it's a little bit like uh, Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl movie or in book in that regard. But uh, Julia Roberts and Clive Owen are having, you know, they have this relationship. They live together. And Clive Owen has just learned that Julia Roberts is cheating on him with Jude Law's character. And he confronts her about it. And let's take a listen. 
We did it here. Where? There. On this? We had our first fuck on this. Did you think of me? When? When did you do it here? Answer the question! This evening. Did you come? Why are you doing this? Because I want to know. Yes, I came. How many times? Twice. How? First he went down on me, and then we fucked. Who was where? I was on top, and then he fucked me from behind. And that's when you came the second time? God. Why is the sex so important? Because I'm a fucking caveman! Did you touch yourself while he fucked you? Yes. You wank for him? Sometimes. And he does? We do everything that people who have sex do. You enjoy sucking him off? Yes. You like his cock? I love you it. You like him coming in your face? Yes. What does it taste like? It tastes like you, but sweeter. That's the spirit. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Now fuck off and die. You fucked up slag. All right. So, uh, oh, That was awesome. Um, so that's it, guys. <clears throat> what do you think? Tastes like you, only sweeter. Oh, that's, yeah, thank you, Julia. Um, amazing. The, the whole thing, and of course, just the dialogue is perfect. The acting is perfect. And when I first you know, had this idea of coming up with this list, like, I knew, I knew that this was the number one. Just because, like, I don't, I'm not going to say I dislike this movie very much. Like, I don't dislike this movie. I certainly like it very much. And it's, you know, it's probably for a reason. I don't think the filmmaker wants you to come away with really a whole lot of warm fuzzy you know butterflies or whatever uh but just this dialogue of you know fuck off and die i mean how many times have we wanted to say that to someone in our lives and here he is you know at the end of that relationship uh saying it to her which incidentally they do get back together at the end of the movie or whatever but uh, that moment oh fucking it's (laughs) It's so That's cool. well I haven't done. seen this, but just from, I mean, I've seen this clip because you just showed it and stuff, but like, I, uh, I hate every comedy movie in the world because it's like two people who clearly should be together. And then there's some contrivance that comes between the, you know, other, oh, their families don't get along or he doesn't have enough money or she has to take a job in Los Angeles. You know, there's some, some weird plot right. point comes in between them. And like, this is like the plot point is like, he's like, fuck you. And then in the greatest fuck you of all time, apparently. And then like that is the insurmountable problem that has to be overcome is the impression I get from this. What do you mean? I, I don't understand what you're saying. Like you're saying like they end up together in the end. They do. They get back together. Yeah. <laughs> so like the fact that he gave like the best fuck you of all time to her. Yeah. Earlier in the movie. Like, is that the thing that is kind of like keeping them up? Like at least part of the thing that's kind of keeping them apart. Well, no, they, they like to bang other people. I mean, oh, okay. that, that, that would be a problem for most <laughs> relationships, I think. Uh, and, yeah. you know, all that. Well, uh, I had an honorable mention, but now I freaking forgot. <laughs> if I remember later, oh, I'll add man. Um, if I remember later, I'll add uh, Okay, it's editor Jeff here. It's 3.30 in the morning. Um, and I finally remembered my honorable mention, which is probably would be my number one if I did the list. It's from the movie called The Ref. It's a dark comedy about a robbery and a kidnapping during Christmas. It stars Dennis Leary, Judy Davis, and Kevin Spacey, amongst other people you will probably recognize. And uh, it's one of my favorite Christmas movies, and if you haven't seen it, you really should give it a try because of dialogue like this. difference does any of this make now? You're getting a divorce. Mother? What? Is it possible for you to shut the fuck up for 10 seconds? Lloyd, don't talk to me like that in my own house. You know what, Mom? You know what I'm going to get you next Christmas? A big wooden cross. So every time you feel unappreciated for all your sacrifices, you can climb on up and nail yourself to it. 
You didn't mention it. All right, whatever. You didn't mention it, but I already did. Um, what about like the end of Spartacus? Would that constitute a fuck you? Uh, it kind of is. Uh, like twenty thousand dudes standing up, and it's like, crucify me, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they do. do I, mean, that. I don't know. Yeah, and hey, you know what? I don't even like that movie that much. I love Kubrick. Yeah, that's like my twelfth favorite Kubrick movie. Ooh, I don't know God. how many movies he has, but <laughs> it's like pretty. You're pretty sure it's dead last. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's not up there. Uh, it's a cool fucking scene. All right, guys. I think that's going to call it to a close. That's our top right. ten cinema TV tell-offs. Buchacha, the unrepentant list man, is out. Later. All right, Jimmers. Later. All right. Over and out. And who are you? The proud Lord said that I must bow so low. Only a cat of a different coat That's all the truth I know And a coat of gold or a coat of red A lion still has claws And mine are long and sharp, my lord As long and sharp as yours Of a different code that's all the truth.